Welcome back to the Compass live stream, uh, the best and also coincidentally the only live stream dedicated to proof of work mining. Um, Will, thanks for being back, hosting another stream with me. This one should be a lot of fun. Um, for most of our streams, we have typical mining nerds ranting with us about hash rate and machine prices and electrical hardware shortages, that sort of stuff. But today is different. Today we have some very cool, very smart traders uh, on our stream to tell us why in the world they put a foot in our world of mining. Um, Will, thanks for being here. Uh, this should be a fun chat. Yeah, really excited for this, Scott and Lynn. Uh, I've looked up to you guys and like read your stuff for a really long time. Crypto Cactus, get a cool JPEG. So sure there's a lot to, to unpack there as well. Yeah, Zach, it is, uh, today. It's a great flex. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to introduce uh, our guests. I'm going to let y'all introduce yourselves. Um, I know each of you has very interesting backgrounds and stories into how you got into uh, Bitcoin generally. Um, and I want to hear you know, a brief rundown of that. Uh, not too long. Um, intros uh, can always run on too long sometimes. And we got to get to some uh, really sexy mining conversations. But I do want to know uh, a bit about how you got into uh, Bitcoin and, and mining more specifically. Um, because it's not... It's, I mean, sometimes it's seen as like the most boring uh, sector of, of our crypto industry. Um, and so I want to know like what piqued your interest about it. Like, why did you even start considering mining um, and what pushed you like over the threshold into like, all right, this is something I'm going to allocate capital to. I want to uh, buy my machines, pay hosting fees, uh, I guess, for background in case our viewers don't know. All of y'all are currently mining or, or almost mining uh, through Compass. Um, and I want to know uh, basically why, like what piqued your interest. Um, Cactus, I, I kind of want to start with you um, and then uh, we'll go to, to Lynn and Scott. But um, where did you come from basically to get into crypto? And then, and then how'd you, uh, how did mining come on your radar? Sure. Um, so I started in crypto in late or mid-2017 um, when we had that huge run-up. Um, I didn't invest anything. I was just chilling on the sidelines, um, learning how to trade like Forex and traditional markets. And then after we had the, the huge crash, I started allocating um, as much capital as I could to the markets, um, worked three jobs to pour as much as I could into Ethereum when it was like 80 or $50, held it until this year, um, sold it in uh, April or May. And now I'm pretty focused on diversification um, trying to find passive income through yield farming. Um, and then when I went to Bitcoin Miami, um, obviously I met up with Wit and we talked about uh, Compass and what you guys were doing. Um, and I think a lot of people think that it's pretty difficult to get into uh, because people assume that you need to have knowledge about uh, hardware and you have to store your own machines. But when you actually look at what Compass are doing, um, it gets really simple. And when you compare it to stuff like yield farming, uh, the risk is much lower, but the returns are much higher. So that's why I got interested in um, mining with Compass. Yeah, that makes sense. I guess uh, so. I don't have any problem admitting I've never I've never farmed any yield uh, through this whole DeFi run. And I I ping Will with questions about it sometimes. Uh, like honestly, I know mining pretty well, and that's that stuff's just way too complex for me managing all those pools and and all that. Um, that's cool though, uh, Lynn. Same question to you. Um, I know you you watch a ton of different markets um, outside of crypto, uh, not just crypto. How did you like, how did mining come on your radar um, in, amongst all the other things that you manage and trade and, and allocate to? Sure. Yeah. I originally covered Bitcoin back in late 2017 uh, toward closer to the top. And I, I basically wrote a piece that was pretty neutral on it. Like I was kind of like interested in bullish on the, on the technology uh, but just concerned about the euphoric price action, concerned about the hard forks, the dilution. So I passed on it. And then, you know, we had that blow off top consolidation, that whole thing. I kept watching the space and then I got into it pretty heavy in uh, April 2020. Uh, and so over that, you know, past year and a half or so, um, you know, I've been you know, adding a lot of research to my my case. Right. So back in 2017, I understood, you know, enough. Uh, whereas in, in 2020, 2021, I really went down the rabbit hole to you know understand as best I can, um, and so you know my 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 first purchase was you know just buy buy a big chunk of Bitcoin. Then I started dollar costing average into it, um, 
And, you know, mining is one of those things. My actually, my first um, look at mining is like a horror story because back in 2010, 2011, I had a friend that was like mining it on her computer when you could do it with graphics cards. And I was like, I should do that. That sounds, you know, that sounds fun. You can earn a little bit of, and I just was like, it was like, I, I don't know. I just didn't feel I, like I, I didn't get around to it. And of course, that's like a, you know, like an eight figure mistake. Um, uh, I probably would have sold those coins anyway, though, when they like tripled, but um, that's how it always is. But anyway, uh, so I, you know, we saw this this whole like uh, you know Chinese hash rate migration, um, and we've I've been covering the the rise of the North American miners, so some of the publicly traded ones, some of the some of the privately you know investment ones, uh, and Compass is just you know it basically it's it's a new thing where anyone can basically be a miner without having to go through the technical details or you know with the fact that their local electricity might not be very cheap, uh, and so you can get basically the economy of scale of Bitcoin mining uh, without having to do it yourself. Uh, and so I decided that basically with hash rates so low, the economics uh, looked really good with that. Um, and so basically I, I said, you know, I'll kind of put dollar cost averaging and hold for a bit and, and kind of just dollar cost averaging or a couple miners and kind of just uh, go around that way. And the way I look at it really is that it's, you know, I tend to hold most of my coins for a long time anyway. Um, and so that's basically a way to take a calculated risk to, Lock in some capital to potentially earn more Bitcoin uh, per per dollar spent uh, than if I had just bought those coins. And of course, there's risk to that. I could end up learning less. I I could end up learning you know quite a bit more. But I ran the numbers and I, I liked that uh, addition. So I wouldn't say put my whole stack into miners, but uh, basically uh, on the side of my core position, these miners are basically good long term streams that I can just keep kind of collecting the you know the the Bitcoin dividends from. Awesome. Scott, same question to you. Most people know you for trading every and any coin. How did you get into Bitcoin mining? And I guess we should probably start with how you got into the space in the first place and kind of work towards that. Sure. I mean, I started trading uh, when I was 13 years old in the late 1980s. I'm a little older probably than most people here. Um, and was something that I consistently did. I went to the University of Pennsylvania in the late 90s. And at that time, there was a real finance boom. And basically, everybody was you know, uh, angling towards Wall Street. But I decided to become a DJ and produce music and disappoint my parents. Um, but there's one thing you have is plenty of free time on the side. So I continued, obviously, with my interest in markets and trading. And I, I eventually found Bitcoin in uh, 2016. Funny, when I, in 2011, someone offered me to pay uh, me $1,000 in Bitcoin for a DJ gig, and I passed because I wanted real money. Um, so like Lynn, that was probably a, a pretty significant error on, on my part, not taking that early. But uh, I came strictly for trading when I originally got there, I think like a lot of people and uh, was extremely lucky that I timed it right. You know, I got interested uh, late 2016, early 2017, when you could throw a dart and, and make money. So obviously, that kept me there. And I think I, like many people probably, came around to the actual importance and use case uh, during the bear market. Right, because we were so focused on trading and making money through the beginning, it didn't really matter what we were trading or making money on because the opportunity was so ripe. And then, obviously, I didn't fully say that I was orange pilled uh, after that. And you know, through 2017, 18, my goal effectively in life became to just stack sets. You know, and that was why I would trade rather than to make money to to make Bitcoin. Um, and mining was always something that I was interested in, but I'm have zero technical know-how, you know, and so it was extremely daunting. Electricity wasn't particularly cheap where I am. Uh, and then I discussed you guys, I, I discovered you guys, obviously, you know, Wit had me on a podcast quite a while ago. I had him on my podcast. We also hung out in Miami. Uh, we've, you know, uh, been in touch for quite a long time. And it's funny, finally, when I saw the China news hit and I saw the sort of bear market start, if that's what you want to call it after the May peak, uh, I realized it was probably opportunity. I hit wit up. I said, so how do I do this? And he uh, did me no favor. He said, go to my website, dude. I'm not helping you. He said, it's really easy. And so and it was. It literally would have been a waste of his time to help me. I went, I bought, you know, got started, bought a few. I have a bunch that are still uh, waiting to come online. And so I timed it, you know, where uh, a machine that was 20 something thousand dollars six months ago was 10. Right. So I figured that that just even. Uh, you know, rationally, it was a massive discount on equipment that was going to rise if you believe the price of Bitcoin to rise. And most importantly, I just viewed it as another way to passively stack sets. You know, um, I do it in various, various ways. And this was a great addition. And it's been absolutely spectacular. Uh, I've loved the experience. And I can't wait to get the rest of them uh, 
online when that happens. Yeah, for sure. Uh, you and a bunch of our other miners, um, wits in the chat, uh, chirping at you a little bit yeah, there. To be fair, uh, I did Scott. have COVID at the time. He said, yes, <laughs> you had a little bit of, a little bit of Delta variant. So um, that's awesome. No, it's good to good to hear your guys' experience. I guess we, there's a couple different angles I want to get into in terms of like how you guys think about mining, because um, you know most of these conversations, uh, like I said in the intro, are about a bunch of you know very uh, esoteric uh, details that not a lot of people really even care about. They ultimately just want to have machines online and hashing at the end of the day. Um, would you guys like categorize yourselves as, you know, like very active miners? Like, do you follow a bunch of news coming out about Chinese miners trying to move machines all over the world or all of these uh, energy consumption and environmental related headlines and debacles all over social media? Um, or do y'all even care about any of that? Or do you just see mining uh, as y'all have sort of mentioned, as just like an extra sort of passive income appreciates and depreciates with Bitcoin, um, and you just kind of ride ride those waves. Like, how how much do you care about you know mining beyond just receiving payouts from from your machines? Um, and if not at all, that's totally okay. I just want to want to know, like, from your perspective, what what interests you and what you don't care about. Um, Scott, I'll I'll hand it back to you, uh, and then we'll we'll cycle around again. Sure. I, I would say it's a fair mix of both. Obviously, you know, um, I, I'm relatively on top of the news cycle because it's sort of become my, my day to day job. So I track it pretty aggressively. And, you know, we're, we're talking about these things all, all the time. Um, I think as a secondary benefit, obviously, it feels good to be a part of securing the network and to be actively participating. And if you're going to talk about something, I think it's important to have skin in the game. So this was an element of, of that for me. But at the end of the day, once I made the decision to do it, I felt like I got in at the right time. You know, we obviously were seeing that dif- that 28% drop in difficulty adjustment pretty much right after, you know, within a month of me starting to mine. And the machines were cheap. As I said, I feel like I timed it right. And now I'll ride them until they die, you know, and then probably re-up afterwards. I have no, uh, no intention of uh, being particularly active unless active means buying more, you know, and I do intend to do that. For sure. Yeah, Lynn, same question to you. Like, I know, again, you monitor a ton of different markets and you're writing uh, a ton of different, like, super top tier research and analysis. Uh, how much do you monitor, like, what's going on in mining beyond just your machines being online and receiving payouts from pools? Yeah. So, because my, my job is research, I do cover a lot of things in the space. Um, but when it comes to mining, I actually, it's kind of like I separate two things. So, when it comes to my own miners, I'm not really focused on them at all. I just kind of was like, you know, if they're paying sats, like that's that's their job. And I, I you know, I'm not really trying to time an exit or anything like that. Um, just kind of using those as ways to get more Bitcoin. Um, so I don't really like watch, uh, you know, details of like what the pricings are doing and, and, and what, you know, details like that. Uh, but on the other hand, uh, I do focus a lot on the, the broader ecosystem of Bitcoin mining uh, and some of the details around it be- for a couple of reasons. One is, my my background is electrical engineering, um, and and so actually the 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 way that Bitcoin uses energy is very interesting to me. Uh, that the details of it, um, and so for example, I just wrote like a like a fifteen thousand word research piece on on Bitcoin's energy consumption, for example. And and there's a couple of reasons for that. One is you know I've because as you point out, I have investors. We, we you know we we like we I've, my clients. We 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 look at all different asset classes: equities, commodities. Uh, pay attention to macro rates, things like that. Um, and so some of them, you know, they want to they want to know if if the investment they're they're doing is say bad for the environment, good for the environment. Uh, what are the trade offs? Um, and so you know, some of them have ESG mandates if they work for you know because I have institutional clients, but then I also have retail clients just want to you know they want to feel good about their portfolio uh, and be and be accurate about those feelings. And so I like to cover. Bitcoin mining uh, as a, a personal interest uh, and as a, a key research topic. And so I'm very interested in the broadening mining space, while at the same time, my own machines are just kind of sitting there paying me some sat dividends. Lynn, a follow-up question for you. So there's a few interesting things about Bitcoin mining uh, that are different than just like dollar cost averaging into Bitcoin purchases, right? I think yeah. a, a key issue is like your sats, if you do it correctly, can be non-KYC and you're just streaming Bitcoin to yourself. You have your miner Oftentimes, you don't have to KYC your miner, uh, which which is a really nice aspect of Bitcoin mining. You know, it's pure version Bitcoin, as they say. 
And I, I've been to some custodians, uh, and I think it's pretty standard now across the space that they have the ability to track from address to address and from uh, portfolio to portfolio to see where coins have been in the past. And that's obviously like a huge problem for people in the space who are more privacy oriented. They don't want to be connected to uh, bad wallets uh, or they just don't want their money to be seen at all by governments or, or whoever. So I'm wondering when you're looking at Bitcoin mining, are you looking at it more than just from a purchase of Bitcoin and looking at it from a financial angle? Is there other incentives to mining Bitcoin that kind of spark your interest and spark the interests of your uh, financial affiliates? Yeah, so one is certainly just the the, the sh- uh, shift in the risk reward, right? Uh, so you know, basically, if you have you know more downside risk if Bitcoin's price action doesn't work out well, more ups more upside potential to get more Bitcoin per dollar spent. So that's that's just the the math portion. But then when yeah, when you go out into the other qualitative factors, uh, you know those those coins can come with additional privacy depending on on how you're mining. Um, and so uh, I like that aspect quite a bit. Um, I think basically it's you know there's this controversy in the world where privacy means you're a criminal. It's like, well, no, the default should be privacy, uh, and basically, uh, you know, ways that want to uh, in, impringe on someone's privacy. Those are the things I think that have to be kind of carefully used, right? So obviously, we want governments to be able to find terrorists and things like that. We don't want you know people to go, but but at the same time, uh, you know, we have to be careful about how much surveillance state type things we have going on. And so I'm always a fan of, of legitimate privacy. Um, and then, you know, I also just like the idea of hash rate being very distributed. Uh, and so, you know, a lot of people in the media thought it was bearish when, when China kicked out all the miners or at least a lot of the miners. Um, and whereas like most people in the Bitcoin community were like, this is great. Bitcoin's more geographically diversified now. Um, and so I like the fact that in addition to having some of the, you know, certain percentage of the Bitcoin networks coins, I have a certain percentage of the Bitcoin network's hash rate. I can I can change pools, uh, you know. I can I can do things like that, um, and so basically it just helps diversify the hash rate uh, and make it so that it's not concentrated into a, a couple major huge companies. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I agree with uh, agree with all of that. There, you uh, phrase it very eloquently. Um, Cactus, I want to hand uh, the same question we've been working through uh, to you. Also, like in terms of um, your your machines um, about to come online and the mining activity you've allocated capital to, like like beyond just those machines, how how active would you say you are, or do you want to be? I guess. Um, what interests you about mining, if anything, beyond just your machines hashing and receiving the payouts um, from from your pool? Yeah, sure. So um, for me, this is more of like um, an experiment, right? So like I think a lot of us have always wanted to do mining. Um, but it feels like it's one of those things where you have to sort of get dip your toes in if you actually want to experience like what it's like and how it works, you know, when you're taking the electricity costs, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and obviously, when China came offline, I thought it was the perfect opportunity to like jump in and start seeing what the best options were. Um, for me right now, um, it's more like a, a trade, like a risk-off trade, because I, I'm not a, a Bitcoin holder, um, and I'm pretty much an Ethereum-only trader, Ethereum holds. So for me, it's sort of like getting Bitcoin um, dollar-cost averaging in uh, with like a lower risk, right? So I don't really want to be buying Bitcoin here at like 50, 60K. Um, with like upside being like let's say fifty percent from here. Um, so for me, it's sort of like the dollar cost averaging is very interesting, um, and the ROI is definitely interesting. Um, but I'm doing this. Um, so VCI, I'm currently partnered with. Uh, we want to allocate a large portion of our pool to um, Bitcoin mining. Uh, so for me, this is like uh, dipping my toes into the water to see how it works and uh, see how it goes. Very interesting. Yeah. Our, um, our sales team is going to be thrilled to hear that you want to allocate even more to mining. Um, I'm, I want to, I want to have Brad hop on the call. He can, uh, he can Brad. service all your needs. Um, I do want to pick up on something you mentioned though, because, uh, Scott, you mentioned that you're not treating mining like a trade and cactus. You mentioned kind of the opposite that it's like, you know, an experiment, um, you're allocating some just to f- test the waters and, and potentially, if I understand what you said correctly, like potentially treating it like a trade. And I want to know from, from each of you and, and from Lynn too, like, uh, 
a little bit of the reasoning behind those different stances. Uh, like, would you, would you potentially, I mean, assuming Bitcoin continues to appreciate and we see, you know, a big ramp up here in the near to midterm future, like those machines and, and the Bitcoin that you mine are going to be, you know, pretty valuable. Um, are you, like, do you anticipate trying to time the market at all? And, you know, maybe, maybe sell some of those ASICs and then wait for, wait for the market to correct a little bit and, and re-enter again, uh, re-up your machine stash and, and uh, thus the hash rate you have under control. Um, how do you think about potentially, if at all, timing uh, the market with regards to your, your mining operations? Uh, Scott, I'll hand it back to you um, yeah. and then we'll go around. Yeah, I'm really viewing it, like I said, as a long-term investment in stacking sats. And I don't think that I will... Um, you know, if I want to take that approach, I'll just trade, you know, and I'll do that sure. uh, sort of sort of on the other side. Um, if there comes a time that I would want to sell the ASIC, it's nice to know that it will appreciate. Um, but that's not my intention. Like I said, I really want to just ride it for as, as long as I can. And, you know, the assumption is that these will last much longer than than previous ASICs did in the past. And, and I'm of the firm belief that Bitcoin's going exceptionally higher, you know, and, and so I don't really see a uh, reason to trick myself or fool myself or, or, uh, take the risk of, uh, of, of not being able to stack sats. I mean, we all know as traders and I've stopped basically trading Bitcoin. I just buy dips. I view it as a long-term investment. I view it as a savings account, even though I used to, you know, trade with leverage like everyone else. Um, we know what happens. You're going to sell your ASIC thinking you've timed the top of the market. The market's going to completely rip and you're just going to buy it back for twice as much and have missed all that opportunity to stack. So I don't see a reason to try to get cute. You know, I just I feel like uh, I got the entry that I wanted, probably the best opportunity we would have um, being sort of when the market crashed in, in May. And now I'm just going to, like I said, I intend to add, not to subtract. So that'll be my goal. You can have your sales team call me too. We're going. <laughs> <laughs> everyone, everyone on here making the sales team real happy. Um, uh, Lynn, uh, are you like, are you treating mining as any sort of trade or are you just, are you planning, you know, on sitting on these machines for their full five, seven or longer year uh, lifetime? So to some extent, I treat it like an experiment, right? Because it's a new thing to explore, but I don't, I'm not treating it like a trade um, because I don't really, I don't treat my other Bitcoin like a trade. Um, and so uh, like Scott, you know, my intention was I got in a really good price for the ASICs is, you know, the way that I calculated, you know, a range of price expectations for Bitcoin, how much, you know, my mining rate could possibly, you know, get. And I said, yeah, this is a great price. I'm happy to hold on to that, uh, you know, until that, that miner is no longer economic. Um, it's one of those things where, you know, if there's like extreme bubbles, like I always reserve the right to change my mind um, rather than try to time the market. Um, but, you know, my, my intention is to really just kind of hold those machines long-term. And I, you know, generally for assets that I hold, you know, Sometimes I, if something becomes large, I'll, I'll trim it out. You know, if it, there's a huge spike. So I, I invested in, say, copper miner companies. And, and then I was like, I'm going to hold on to these for like five years. And then they tripled in six months. And so I was like, well, now I'm going to, I'm going to get out of that. But that's, that's a liquid, you know, kind of lower quality company. Um, and so it's not one of my long term compounders anyway. There's other positions that I have that I have no intention of trading in and out, even if they double or, or whatever they do. And so when it comes to the Bitcoin ASIC miners, I'm kind of treating them like that longer term type of investment, uh, at least for the most part. Cool. Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. Um, Cactus, same to you. Like, uh, are you are you also not really treating it like a trade, but, you know, potentially if we see 20, 30, $35,000 ASICs, uh, maybe liquidate some of them? Uh, or how do you think about this in terms of this long-term passive income stream or, or a trade you might hop in and out of to some extent? Uh, no, I'm, I'm with Scott and Lynn on this. Um, definitely not a trade in that in that sense. Um, I'll probably never sell my ASICs. I'm not sure how it works, but I'm guessing there's like an optimal period where you have to upgrade, which would probably be like four years, maybe. Um, so it'd be the only time. But like Scott said, it, I would just be adding to what I have. Um, I would never sell my ASICs. And it, instead, it's just really, instead of me buying spot, I'm just buying ASICs. That's pretty much how I'm doing it. So yeah, follow up for you guys, because there's a ways to conceptualize that at least with Bitcoin, it gets so philosophical, right? So are you just planning on holding your ASICs because you want to like secure the network, even if it was like mining at a loss, knowing that Bitcoin's price is going to go up eventually? Uh, or is it just that there's not a market for selling ASICs right now and you don't want to spend the time investigating how to sell those ASICs? And so it's just not worth like uh, the time for it. Maybe Scott, start with you. Yeah, I think we're all... Like, 
Yeah, Go ahead, sorry. I think it's a bit of, uh, yet again, a bit of both. I think you kind of nailed it. Like I said, the secondary sort of effect is me of, of the whole thing for me was the idea of having skin in the game and being a part of securing the network because talk about it endlessly, but you know, I, I feel like you should at least try. Um, but definitely be, this is not my core competency. The whole reason that I am using compass mining is so I don't have to think about that stuff. Right. You guys made it incredibly easy. Like I said, even Wit, who could have walked me through it, said, just go to the site and buy them. And I was set up minutes later. You know, I mean, it really is in- incredibly easy. So I figure that, uh, you know, Zach will send me a newsletter or something that tells me that uh, <laughs> something's going on. I read, you know, I, I read it. Um, and if there's a some fundamental switch or change and, you know, a reason to be selling the ASIC, I, I will consider that. But Really, uh, I think that the philosophical part is wonderful, but it's just above my head and I don't see myself having the time or the know-how to really play that market knowledgeably. I also don't like flip Pokemon cards because I don't know well, you know, the, the value of them and I don't flip NFTs either. And like Zach, I kind of missed yield farming, right? Uh, I know what I know and uh, I'm busy. And I think that uh, this has just been an incredible opportunity to get in sort of at the right time and ride the wave. We got to, we got to clip that and put it on the website. That was a great, a great ad for us, mm-hmm. Scott. Thank you. That's what this whole show is check about. Is in the, check is in the mail. Thank you. <laughs> uh, exactly. Lynn, Cactus, I want to give you the same question, but maybe like change it a little bit. So the, the interesting thing about crypto is we've seen like financial markets just kind of pop out of like ex nihilo, right? They, they haven't been there before. We haven't had global permissionless money in any sense of the word before crypto. And now we do. And those market structures were built over the last decade, right? BitMEX didn't exist uh, 20 years ago. Now it does. Now we know like how those markets work. Same thing is kind of happening with ASICs to a degree where you have money printing machines, but no one really understands how to trade them or move them around or like how to price them. Uh, they they tr- lag behind Bitcoin's price. But are you guys interested in kind of learning about that process of like how to buy and sell ASICs and trade them? Or is at this point, it's just about securing the network and dollar cost averaging into Bitcoin in a different way. Uh, Lynn, I'll start with you, but I do want to get Cactus's thoughts on that as well. So for me, it's more the second one uh, where I think that's actually that's super fascinating, the idea of getting in and out of ASICs. And if I were going into electrical engineering like I was like, you know, 12, 13 years ago, Bitcoin mining would be like a really cool place uh, to go into. Um, but for, for the work I do, uh, because I'm super busy, uh, uh, you know, basically focusing on the on the pricing details of the ASIC market is, is not super fascinating to me. Um, and so it's not a plan that I I, I want to put a lot of kind of time into. Um, but in the broader sense, uh, I like to see, for example, that we're hopefully going to get some more ASIC manufacturing diversification with with some of the latest say Blockstream announcements. Um, and so I I kind of like those bigger pictures following that. Um, I like following what some miners are doing, the types of energy sources they're using, how they're how they're increasingly using the grid in a more optical uh, optimal way, or going out and getting stranded, you know, non-grid uh, energy. And so, from my perspective, my machines personally are mostly about just getting more Sats, uh, and then philosophically helping to support the network uh, even during times of of, of turmoil. Um, whereas my research efforts are more towards that that bigger, you know, m- the bigger questions in mining rather than my own machines or trading in and out. Yeah, for sure. I guess a little bit of background, like, so, so there are definitely some miners who are making this trade, like playing ASICs, um, but that's more of like necessity rather than desire. Like you see so many machines just being sat on in China and they're, they don't want to crash the price by flooding all these, the market with all these machines. And they're basically betting that the price of Bitcoin and thus the price of ASICs will continue to appreciate so they can try and recoup some of their costs because they can't really legally plug them in anymore. Um, so yeah, it's just, it, we're, we're just curious to sort of know your mindset is obviously miners who aren't in that situation, but have, you know, these very valuable computers that are basically printing internet money for you. Um, it's, yeah, it's interesting. Uh, Will, I'll hand it back to you. Yeah, I just want to throw the same question to, to Cactus, like get your your taste on this subject, because like everyone has to go through a learning process for trading any sort of good. Uh, I mean, learning how to trade altcoins is also like its own uh, burden, like learning how to yield farm. That takes a lot of time. Is it worth it from your position as a new crypto miner to learn like the ins and out of the ASIC market and how that all works? Because ASICs themselves are also an asset that you're purchasing along with the ability to stream Bitcoin to yourself. Yeah, I think like getting deep into like ASICs and like um, trying to time the market is pr- pretty close to impossible unless you're like an expert in that field. Um, 
for me, like like I said earlier, uh, not looking to sell my ASICs. When I run like the historical data on like mining and miners I have, like they just print money every single day. Um, I don't think I'd find like a negative day or anything like that. Um, so for me, it's just like a risk off trade to like stack more sats and yeah. For sure. Um, so one part of this conversation we did do a little bit of prep work with is some objections uh, from other traders who aren't as open to entering the mining spaces as the three of you are. And they're not like super complex uh, objections, but I kind of want to have you all field them um, just to know if they are things you've considered before you got into mining. Um, one of the primary objections uh, in conversations I've had um, with traders just asking if they have an interest in mining is basically they want to keep all the liquidity in the market. So they don't want to allocate to hardware. Like they get the appeal of mining, cheap sats, passive income, very low touch, low effort, but they'd rather just keep it all in the market. Um, they're very confident in their trading strategies or, or wherever, whatever pools they're staking in, wherever their capital currently is. Um is this something you guys have thought through or was this even a consideration for you guys? Like, I don't really want to take anything out of the market. Just keep it all there. Uh, Cactus, I'll hand it back to you and then we'll cycle through. But if, if you were talking to another trader who basically said, no, I want to keep it all in the market. Um, how, like, how is that something you maybe thought through? Yeah, sure. I definitely thought about this. Um, I think it's probably one of the most important aspects of it. Um, I think it, de- it determines on like how much liquid you're like using in the market. So for me, um, Right now, I'm like allocated maybe thirty or forty percent, like to the to spot positions or like trading, um, and the rest of my money is just like in stable coins or in the bank or uh, in yield. Um, so about, about two or three months ago, I was heavily into yield farming. Um, it's it's definitely interesting, and there is some good safe farms um, that provide a good ROI, maybe eight or seven percent per year. When you compare it to like what. Um, if you look at like the historical data on your ASICs, like <laughs> the return is like maybe four or five times that. Um, so that's one aspect of it. And then um, what was the other part of the question? Sorry. Yeah, for sure. Just like if it's if it's something you've thought through, like in terms of w- what you would want to leave in the markets, or if you want to take anything out. Uh, basically, it seems like yes. Yeah, so yeah, never go gonna, ahead, sorry. Probably ever going to be like hundred percent allocated to the market again. Um, like I. I <laughs> Like I'm pretty young. I made like a lot of money. Um, and I see we can put that money to like risk, to like risk all that cap- cash now in the markets. So now the, the game is the long-term play. I'm investing in um, yield farming, Bitcoin mining, um, and early startups in the space over the next 10 to 20 years. And that's what, what I'm focused on. Sure. Yeah. Scott, it looks like you agreed with, with a bunch of that. Um, any thoughts on that question or objection? Well, I've, I, I take issue with the notion at all that you should ever have 100% of your capital in the market trading. So like, you know, I, I learned very conservatively, very early um, about portfolio allocation and, you know, very sort of the standard old school idea of 70% long-term investments, 15% in cash uh, for dip buying and 15% for trading if you must, right? Uh, or for riskier investments, you uh, those are even the, you know, my friend starting a business, let me light this money on fire and send it to him 15%, right? And so I think that allocation is across your entire portfolio and then within your individual portfolio. So that might be true of your stock portfolio, your real estate portfolio, your your crypto portfolio separately. So like a lot of traders I've known have failed horribly because they had all of their money actively traded. So to me, this goes into that 70% uh, investment mm-hmm stacking sat side. And so it would never even be a thought to me to have a hundred percent of my capital being uh, actively traded. You know, like if we go into a, if we've gone into like full epic, very clear alt season mode or something, I might ratchet up to 30, 40, 50% and take some of, you know, the, the Bitcoin or ETH out to trade and sort of compound. But in general, I think I'm pretty risk averse. So the whole the, the question doesn't even almost make sense to me because it's just not how I approach things or I think how anyone with sensible risk management should approach the market. Sure. Yeah. Uh, and then Lynn also want to get your thoughts um, in terms of like if you ever felt like there's obviously opportunity costs regardless of where you allocate uh, money in any investment. Um, how do you think about like allocating to markets you already in versus, you know, buying miners? Yeah, so because I, I focus more on the investment side than the trading side, um, I don't I don't have a high per- portfolio turnover anyway, um, and so I, I just put this into my illiquid bucket, 
like I would with, say, real estate or private company investment, for example. Um, and so I'm already very liquid, even though I don't have high velocity in the sense that I, I have a large stock portfolio. I have a lot of uh, Bitcoin holdings. I have stable coin holdings earning some yield. Um, and so I, I have you know plenty of liquidity. And so I don't have any real liquidity constraints, even though there is, of course, an opportunity cost for every pool of capital. And so if anything, I, I like seeking out illiquid things uh, that I think have a really good uh, you know, risk return profile. Uh, and so my goal was kind of to de- de- decrease my liquidity and be able to put something and lock it away for, you know, a few years, even though I, don't have, I could, you know, uh, use, get a liquidity event earlier, uh, but just, you know, without the intention to. Uh, and so that's kind of how I'm approaching it where it's, you know, I, I have a bunch of liquidity and I don't really need more. Okay. It's time to get a little degenerate and talk about price action because that's what we got you guys here on the chat. So I want to talk about like mining through a bear market. And if you guys think we're going to go through a bear market, if you look through the, uh, like the treasure trove of mining stories out there, there's a lot of people with coffins because they didn't allocate correctly with, uh, their Bitcoin mining capital. And they didn't look at the, the future price of Bitcoin and uh, plan for that future very well. And so now they're not in the mining game at all. But you guys as traders, future looking at these prices, what is your uh, thoughts on like the super cycle uh, that's kind of come out this year about Bitcoin kind of hitting that mainstream velocity launching out of this? And then how do you think about Bitcoin mining in relationship to a Bitcoin uh, that is 100k plus? Uh, Lynn, I kind of want to throw that back to you if you're ready for that question. But, just curious. Sure. So, you know, my base case for a while uh, is this would probably be like a normal cycle um, till, till I see evidence otherwise. Uh, you know, one thing that we're seeing is that, f- f- and maybe you guys know this more than I do, but basically financing for miners has improved. Um, so as we've seen hash rate come out of China and go to North America, now we see publicly traded Bitcoin miners. Uh, in, in addition, we have places like NYDIG or Galaxy that, that are able to, you know, uh, do better finance for that space. And so now we're seeing that the cost of capital for miners has gone down. I, I've talked to a number of institutional kind of contacts about that. Um, and so a lot of miners just have kind of a HODL strategy. They just want to get Bitcoin and hold down their balance sheet. That that applies to publicly traded miners, private miners. Uh, that's that's my strategy with my, my compass mines. Um, and so you know the four-year halving cycle, the, the, the big boom kind of bust that, that Bitcoin goes through, uh, is, is kind of been so far. It's a pretty low sample size. It's been built around that having cycle, where you know the, the new supply of new coins gets cut in half. Uh, there's there's kind of been the persistent level of demand for it, and then that that starts driving up the price. And then momentum traders come on in, and then it gets you know euphoric, and then we have a, a crash and a consolidation. Um, and so, if basically miners aren't selling a lot of their coins into the market. And then anyway, because the you know the new supply of coins is becoming an increasingly small percentage of, of total coins that exist, the impact of those four-year halving cycles should decrease over time. And so I, I think eventually we we will get towards a super cycle. We could be in it now. You know, I'm not sure. I, I guess I would define super cycle maybe a little differently in the sense that I'm not necessarily expecting, you know, utterly massive gains in say a, a six month period or something like that, I think it'll go up uh, uh, as my base case. Um, but compared to say the lat, the 2017 cycle or something like that, I'm not necessarily considering a much bigger gain, but I think it could be longer and that this, this kind of four year period breaks down and we just kind of get these, these different types of cycles going forward. So Scott, before I throw the question to you, I want to amend it a little bit based on what Lynn was asking. If Damon, you could throw up that tweet. So Yesterday, there was a report from CoinDesk that did some uh, work on kind of like where we are we are at in the Bitcoin mining cycle. David Pan's a journalist, so you should definitely give him a follow uh, if you are on Twitter. But basically, uh, this tweet, if we can throw it up, if not, I can just read it really quick. But he said that there's definitely a lot of miners who are depending on a continued bull run. Uh, yeah, here we go. Uh, and many of which are big names. So basically, the implication here is that in 2020, 2019, a lot of bigger Bitcoin miners were running in the red and they were looking for either the halving or a run up in Bitcoin's price uh, separately from that to kind of save their books. And even after a tremendous six months of 2021, they're still in the red. And if the Bitcoin bull market doesn't continue, then they could be flushed out of the game. Uh, so just in context to my last question for, for you there, uh, Scott, yeah, a lot of these big uh, miners need 
you know, Bitcoin's price to keep going up. And your purchase of ASICs also depends on these bigger players continuing to be in the game. If they have to liquidate their shelves because they didn't play it right, that affects everyone in the Bitcoin mining industry. So there's a lot of risks involved. Wondering your thoughts on that. Sure. I mean, I guess natural selection is a bitch, right? I mean, if it, if it happens and you didn't plan, then welcome to the free market. At least we have one, you know? Um, and so like, <laughs> I think that exact sentiment is everything that's right with the Bitcoin network and Bitcoin mining and Bitcoin trading and everything that's wrong with the stock market and other markets that are artificially inflated and too big to fail, right? We don't have that here. So um, I see that generally as a positive. If that means that I lose my money... <laughs> the first time, um, you know, that uh, I, I, I uh, traded poorly for for decades, basically. So, you know, that's a risk that I'm willing to take. And if it all went to zero for me with with the mining equipment, you know, that's that's kind of priced in for me. Um, so th- that's not something of great concern if we're just talking about the cycle, super cycle, Bitcoin to 10. What Fidelity said, one hundred million dollars in 20, 2035 today. Is that what they said? Um, none of that matters to me. I, I trend towards what Lynn said, which is up and to the right. You know, I think that it, whether slowly or quickly, I think that the trend will be up. And if we're talking about three to four years from now or seven years when these machines are finally obsolete, I would be very, very surprised if we were at comparable or lower prices to now in that amount of time. So yeah, just another opportunity to stack sats as it as it's going down, going up. I'm not going to sell because price goes down. It's not something I would do with my Bitcoin. It's not something I'm going to do with my miners. Um, and really quickly, I saw someone commenting, and I just want to address it. Uh, if we had to pay for our miners, or if we were sponsored, and did we get any preferential treatment? I joked at the beginning, no, absolutely no preferential treatment. I, I just want you guys to know I can only speak for myself, but I, I bought everything at at uh, offered price right on the website, like everyone else. I'm still waiting for a number of my machines to come online. I'm just a customer who's happy and, and, and likes talking about this. So I wouldn't want anyone to have the idea that we're paid to be here or that there was some incentive. Same for yeah, me. But- I, just, I, just, I just one day uh, bought through Compass. I did some research. I bought. Uh, I didn't even reach out to the company ahead of time. Uh, so they, you know, they, they didn't know. Um, and so, you know, I just kind of, after I already purchased it, I'm like, hey, like, uh, I, I, by the way, I'm mining with you guys. So, um, yeah, I'm un- unsponsored. You know, uh, basically, it's you know, I I did do that. Um, uh, uh, I, I did a write up on Compass uh, where I just kind of talked about my experience, and so I did have a link that I disclosed on my page, um, and so there's that connection. Uh, but there's actually been no special treatment for the miners themselves or anything like that. Yeah, I guess in the spirit of full disclosure, Will and I are are definitely paid to be here. Uh, otherwise, we wouldn't be here. But uh, yeah. but nobody I only bought a miner because they hired me. I so thought this was going to be a coal mining stream, and I showed up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, nobody else is is paid to be here except Will and me. Um, but <laughs> no, we we really appreciate you guys being on the show, uh, Cactus. I want to. Uh, pitch you a little bit of a different question and another objection that we get not just from like traders actually maybe mostly not from traders but just like other people in crypto um i'm not sure if you can hear the background noise behind me if you can i'll let will ask this question uh just very shooting a deal um but basically there's the idea that there's obviously so many ways to make money in crypto right now um through i mean from your avatar flipping nfts uh or staking which i follow some of your twitter content and and you you mentioned you're into um or mining or just you know leverage trading can you like one objection that people say like i don't want to really get into mining because there's so many other ways to make potentially even more money uh, but with that additional upside comes additional risk. Is, is that pretty much how you think about the other options that you dabble in and make money from compared to mining? Like, um, basically it comes down to like the objection that there's way more profitable allocations to be made in crypto, um, not other markets and not and sort of thinking, you know, medium term investment strategy, I guess. Um, but how do you think about the other markets that you dabble in and, and the other uh, the other probably significantly higher upsides you're, you're facing uh, relative to mining um, or maybe not higher uh, in terms of your decision to start mining, I guess? Uh, yeah, sure. So I think when you actually look into it, like I think a lot of people are skeptical when they start, but when you actually look at the historical data, once you research like what miners are available and how much like power they can pull, like I think mining is probably the best ROI for passive income in the whole space. Like the only way you're going to get higher is if you go to like some 100% APY pool where, you know, yeah, it's a super high risk. Um, and another interesting like thing is like Compass allows you to like 
or like facilitates the selling of machines like pretty easily, right? So it's not as if your like capital is like trapped there, and if you don't want it, if you if you decide you don't want to have your machines anymore, you can just like um, sell them. So like <laughs> I don't know why there's a lot of traders saying like their liquid is tied up. Like it's it's really not. Um, there's always a market for buying ASICs, and like <laughs> I'll take any ASICs like people are selling if they want to sell them. Um, but yeah, pretty much for me, I think mining is the best ROI for passive income in the space right now. Um, and even though I think next year might be a bit rough and we might go into a bear market, um, like my mind, I'll still be printing money from that probably. And as long as we see a good six or seven months from now, um, like most of us, most, most of will be paid off, you know, like I think right now it's around 11 months, I think, um, for like a hundred percent ROI, which is like pretty insane for like, I, I would consider low risk. Yeah. I just, can I jump in really quick? I think it just speaks sort of, like you said, it speaks to time preference. If you really believe like you have a better opportunity, it means that you have no intention really of being here in three years, right? If you're thinking about what you're going to be doing in six months, then mining's not for you in my opinion, right? Because like, you wouldn't have even had the opportunity to let it grow, to stack the sats, even to, you know, have uh, to get your money back. So I, I think, you know, maybe it just depends on how that person is approaching the market. For me, if I have a 10, 20, 30, 50 year time horizon, you know, that then I have no problem holding this for three to five years. For someone who's used to trading, you know, taking 17 scalps on 50x leverage in a day, not that there's anything wrong with that and is doing that with their entire portfolio. Of course, they don't want you to tell them that they're going to get their money back in a year and that they got to wait a few years to see a real uh, return, you know, to see a, a real gain. Yeah, for sure. I think uh, at least my assumption and obviously everyone uh, buys and sells whatever they want. But uh, I think the mindsets of someone who's, you know, on OpenSea buying uh, rock, paper and scissors, uh, JPEGs is, is significantly different from the mindset or strategy of, of uh, investors and traders like yourselves who are who are mining um, definitely much longer term. Or maybe you're super bullish on scissors JPEGs. I don't know. I don't really understand that strategy or that the thesis. Only rocks there, but... well. Scissors are out. <laughs> high stakes hot potato. Yeah, it's high stakes hot potato. <laughs> you guys are kind of confused. It's going to get crushed like hard. Of course. People are just going to pull floors like so hard on most of the stuff. Even like probably punks would like be like fifty percent discounted. Oh no! Don't say that. Don't say that. Uh, no, I'm, <laughs> you guys are kind of confirming uh, a kind of theory I've had recently, which is that retail Bitcoin miners are more diamond handed than public firms, uh, just because they're like they. There's this this uh, continuing idea from like the Bitcoin civil war that like run your node right, and I think that's kind of moving into the Bitcoin mining ecosystem with the retail network, where it's like also like run your ASIC. Uh, you should be involved in the network in like two different ways. You should be running your node. You should be running your ASIC, and even if it's if it's at a loss, which is like surprising to me to hear from traders that you guys are uh, more price sensitive. Like you guys think very quickly and change your positions very quickly. Uh, that you're willing to kind of hold in these positions. It's it's very different from what I expected jumping onto the stream. I think it can be both, right? And that's what I was sort of talking about with portfolio allocation. And I think kind of what Lynn was alluding to with having a liquid you know, portfolio and an illiquid portfolio. And I think you can approach it both ways. I just don't think that mining is something you would rationally approach from the scalping mindset. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, 100%. I couldn't disagree with any of that. Uh, just curious to know your thoughts. Um, this conversation has been a ton of fun. Uh, we have a little bit of time left. And so I want to transition to two like kind of predictive, kind of hypothetical questions uh, for you guys. We've talked in a, from a few different angles about you know how you think about mining, why you got into it. Um, if you're trying to hop in and out, the answer is a pretty unanimous no. Um, but you know, if there's anything consistent about mining, it's that it can be very unpredictable, uh, especially in terms of uh, regulations um, and other sort of like market uh, supply chain problems and different distribution choke points. Um, so this may be a very simple question, but I think maybe we could get some interesting answers out of you guys. Also, if there's like, and if you need a minute to think about it, totally okay. But if there's any scenario, like nightmare scenario where you'd be like, all right, I am done mining, like, I thought this was cool. This is an experiment. I bought a few machines through Compass, but maybe like the environmental activists just go insane and you can't deal with it anymore. Or the U.S. bans mining and you're you're worried about your capital allocation or I don't know, any sort of nightmare scenario. Is there a scenario that you've considered before you got into mining that you you would 
you would get out of the game basically if this or these couple things happened. Um, and, and if there is that sort of situation, what would it be for you? Um, Scott, hand it back to you uh, and then Lynn and Cactus. Sure. It's not something I necessarily considered uh, before mining, but I think it's something maybe you consider when you think about your long-term thesis on any asset, Bitcoin included, right? Um, I mean, we love to say that there's no threats to it. Uh, I think regulation is a minor threat. I don't think it would stop me from from mining, but you know, d- depending on how heavy-handed and where it comes from, we could see obviously a dip in price, or it could become unprofitable. At which case, we start talking about the philosophical reasons to be doing it, as you discussed. Um, I mean, I still think it's minimizing, but there's always the chance of a state-level attack or something. Uh, you know, somebody does 51% attack the network. I don't want to be a miner if the network ceases to be secure or fails. I don't think that would ever happen. I think that's a almost non-existent, but it's not non-zero, right? So um, I would say if the if the network proves to be unsecure or if my general thesis about Bitcoin is somehow violated, then I would obviously consider moving uh, all of my money into uh, Shiba. I don't know. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> the next, next, next big dog coin or a uh, crypto pump. Right. No, but I mean, that, that would be it. It would have to be something that shook my thesis to the core or shook the network to the core. Awesome. No, yeah, that's a great answer. Like it, you're, you're definitely in the right place. I think with that mindset, like if, if the network fundamentally that you're mining for comes and encounters some, some catastrophic problem, definitely a, a good idea to not, you know, keep yeah. mining for that network anymore. Um, but absent that problem, you know, you're, you're probably in a good spot. Uh, Lynn, same question to you. Like, is there a nightmarish scenario that you considered before or like right after you started mining with us that, uh, would kind of, I don't know, invalidate your thesis about why you're mining? So more broadly, I mean, when I, you know, went bullish on Bitcoin, I considered multiple risks, including regulation, including fundamental issues of Bitcoin itself, uh, price action, those sorts of things. Uh, and so those are kind of folded into it, right? So, I mean, obviously, you know, I'm pretty high conviction on Bitcoin, but it does have risks associated with it. We have to monitor the health of the network effect over time. Uh, we have to monitor the security over time to see how that's evolving. Um, I, that's one reason I like to, uh, you know, mostly stick with Bitcoin is it's the one that I have, you know, more, more confidence in is in terms of the way it's constructed, um, and the way it operates. Uh, now, you know, for mining in specific, I guess the, you know, the, the, the doomsday scenario for me would be, you know, they ban it and, you know, all of the facilities say we can't host your machines anymore. And either I got to host my own machine now or, or stop mining. Um, I guess at that point, uh, I would pivot to something else. Um, but I would still be in Bitcoin. I would still be, you know, uh, trying to do my best to secure the network in other ways, um, and and supporting. You know, I think that that there are. I mean, there are people who say focus on mining, and they would kind of, you know, they would just do it anyway, um, and kind of do that civil disobedience. I would certainly support those people. I don't my my kind of physical locations not great for mining, and so uh, you know that I'd have to probably not do it at that point. But I would just you know, go back to other, other aspects of the network. So other than basically being told I can't do it. And then literally the hosting provider, you know, saying that they can't host me anymore. You know, is, is, for me, there's not that many things that would shut off my, my miners. Sure. Yeah. No, again, great answer. Uh, I agree with, uh, with all of that. Um, Cactus, uh, same question to you. Um, any nightmare scenario that, you know, you'd want to get out of mining if, if, one or two or three different things happened. Uh, yeah, probably if someone came and like lit the facility on fire or something. Thought about that a few times, but that's probably like the worst case, right? Like the the, the facility yeah. getting like blown up or something like that. Like if it, if it gets regulated in the US pretty heavily, then I guess there's going to be facilities in Russia or like you have on the site already. In anywhere else in the world, like mining will just go to wherever it's most optimal to mine, right? Um, so that's not really an issue I see happening. Um, and yeah, yeah, that's pretty much it, really. I don't really yeah, see you know, a I guess, doomsday scenario that's realistic. You know, of of these doomsday scenarios, data center fires probably are the are the most realistic. I guess <laughs> that's a uh, that's a pretty good reason to stop mining. Not that you really have, I guess, a choice in that matter. We don't have a choice, anyways. So. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, you're uh, you're kind of taken out uh, unwillingly there. But I'm curious. I'm, I'm curious. I won't. Yeah, I was going to ask you guys. I was going to ask you guys. To that end, do you recommend? I am, but do you recommend that your customers mine in multiple facilities to mitigate that risk? That's a great question. Yeah, and 
I mean, the short answer is yes. Like, um, obviously this is not sort of official advice, but personally me, when I got into mining, uh, I want, I sort of treated it like the same way that I treated when I was buying Bitcoin. I think a couple of you have alluded to this too. Like I want to slowly accumulate a few different machines. And in the same way that I store my Bitcoin on different wallets and different types of wallets, um, I want my machines hosted in, in different facilities too. So, uh, if they're like, if there is another China level incident or whatever in, in Russia, maybe, or even in the U S or wherever it is, I know I have machines in, in Kazakhstan or in Argentina or wherever. Um, and at least my whole operation, uh, isn't, you know, taken out with one sort of, uh, swoop of a regulator's pen. Um, I think, yeah, just treat mining the same way you treat Bitcoin, or if you're allocating to other coins in the same way, um, treat ASICs like the coins themselves and you're in, you're in pretty good shape. Uh, I mean, obviously, if you want to go uh, all in uh, with one payment, uh, that's your strategy. But I, I treat it a little bit differently. Yeah, I think that jurisdictional thing is really important. But also, it's like good to note that like we're dealing with electrical parts in every continent. Every country has like different codes. And you have like one machine that's typically coming from one country. And if you are putting that machine in a different country, it operates with different electrical requirements. And so it's good to kind of like diversify based on that as well. It's like, you know, machine fires and stuff like do happen. And luckily, that's why you have to work with like really competent partners, make sure that they're like checking everything is up to spec. But, you know, things like that happen in Bitcoin mining where people don't build the farm correctly and then you end up have, like losing miners from uh, electrical problems like that. Can't get if your hair are... dryer to work. Can't get your hair dryer to work when you plug it into a foreign country. <laughs> exactly. It's the same problem. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if y'all are ever in Texas, though, speaking of engineering of the facilities, the the Windstone facility um, that Riot recently acquired, the, the amount of engineer I recently toured it, talked to the team, the amount of just basically money they spend engineering these farms is absurd. Nuts. Yeah. Because you know, the mistake most miners make since we're on the topic of data centers uh, is, you know, traditional data centers are built a certain way and miners don't really innovate on top of that. Typically they just think we're plugging in computers in these facilities. Also, let's just keep the traditional data facility structure. Um, but miners obviously run a lot hotter and a lot louder than uh, your typical data center computer infrastructure. Um, and you can, do a lot of cool things with innovating um, and iterating around the design of your mining farm. And the Windstone facility is, is definitely a leader in that regard. Uh, very cool stuff. But um, I kind of want to touch on something Lynn mentioned really quick. I wasn't planning on talking about at-home mining, um, but you know, obviously noise and heat uh, are the two like primary annoyances from mining, which is why, you know, services like Compass exist. Um, but we have other companies building very cool, innovative products to try and eliminate those for at-home miners. Um, just really quick, uh, would any of you, that basically like the product neutralizes noise and heat. So it takes like, you know, an uh, 80, 90, 100 decibel ASIC down to, you know, 20, 30 or 40, I believe is what their prototype as is at right now. Um, would any of you ever consider, you know, mining at home? Uh, or would you prefer like, I'm not cannibalizing comes to business here. Like we sell direct to at home miners all the time. Uh, but would you ever consider mining at home? Um, if some of these products, you know, made it a lot more, uh, a lot quieter and a lot less hot, uh, or would you just, you know, prefer to chill with hosting service like compass? Uh, Lynn, I guess, uh, first to you. Yes. Yeah, so my, my race market here is not super attractive for mining. Um, and so I, I think you know, people should answer that question based on you know what type of setup they have, where they're located. Yeah. Uh, you know, and some people, for example, might have solar systems, and then they have excess power that they can you know put into it. And so everyone has their own situation. So I don't think it's really uh, like a, a you know a, a one size fits all approach. Uh, so for my situation, mining is would be a stretch. It, it, it pretty much only if you were doing it out of like philosophical reasons would it would it kind of make sense. Um, but sure. other people might have a more convenient setup, and so. For me, I mean, you know, if I wanted to do my best to support Bitcoin from home, it's it's things like owning Bitcoin, talking about Bitcoin, running a full node. Um, whereas miners, you know, for me, it really helps to having a hosting facility. But people have their yeah, own for sure. Issues. Scott, I know you've got kids at home. Uh, how would they how would they like it if you brought a few S19Js and you know plopped them in the living room, even if you had you know like a noise insulating box or whatever? Have you ever thought about mining at home? They would break them. Um, within like five minutes, they would find a way to disassemble it and turn it into something else. I've thought about it. Uh, basically the same an answer that Lynn gave. Uh, I think you guys, as much as I would love to do it at home, you've made it so easy that I don't think I would uh, make this far more complex than it already is. I think I'd be more inclined to just continue 
uh, with with you where the electricity is cheaper and I know that uh, the machines are watched after. I, you know, if it breaks, I'm not going to be able to fix it. Let's be real, you know. Um, and so I've dabbled in mining other things. You know, like I think uh, I would, I would, I don't know if this is like, uh, can't say this here, but I would probably be more inclined to mine ETH in a closet with graphics cards than I would to be to, to set up these miners, you know, and that's something like I have friends who do locally. I have a friend who has one of the biggest offices in my town and every closet you open, there's like an ETH miner and this like otherwise professional <laughs> operation. And then you, any door you open, that's not supposed to be open is mining ETH. You know, uh, that sounds a little bit more like me. I would consider it. I just think, like I said, you guys made it easy. I don't see why this, you know, I didn't do it before. So I, I'm, I'm doing gotcha. this with you. Yeah, no, we definitely do talk about ether on the show a bit now and then. Uh, Will is our resident ether fanboy, so I'm more about it. <laughs> I'm more of a Bitcoin guy, but uh, cool. Well, we're at time here. Uh, I want to thank you guys so much uh, for all of your time. This conversation, for me personally, um, and and I'll speak for Will, uh, has been a ton of fun. Uh, we have a lot of respect for all of you, um, the content research analysis that you all create, um, and. More importantly, we appreciate you having or having you as customers through Compass. Um, thanks so much for your time, your thoughts, your insights, uh, and glad to have you mining with us. Uh, for everyone watching, all three of them are on Twitter. Um, all three of them are must follows uh, for for commentary outside of mining um, across across all different markets. Um, Scott, Lynn, Cactus, uh, from all of us, thank you so much. This has been a ton of fun. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you, thank you guys.